We'll be starting a new series in a couple of weeks, but as we have one of those in-between weeks, um, I'd like to talk about something that has been foundational in the building of our church community here at Reality, and it's around this idea of following Jesus. Um, that's who we are. That's what we really identify as as a community. We are a community following Jesus. That's the first part of our mission statement, but what does that look like? What does that require? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I want to talk about it from this story here in Mark chapter 10. So if you're there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, I'm going to start at verse 46. I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 52. However, I typically read from NIV, and I will be reading from NIV tonight, but the very last verse, verse 52, I'm going to read out of the ESV. And the reason is, is that I believe that the ESV captures um, what's going on in the original language really, really well and uh, what, how Mark is telling his story. So I'll read the last verse in ESV. So follow along with me, and then I will pray for our time. Verse 46, Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, uh, which means son of, of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he had heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. That's God's word. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, would you illuminate our minds and our hearts around the scriptures tonight? Would you open our eyes that we would see you and see you clearly, God? Would you open up even our hearts that we could know you and respond to you? I know that there are people in here this evening who um, probably feel like faith comes hard to them, and it comes easy for other people, but for them it comes particularly hard. And Lord, you hear that and you know that. I, I don't think faith comes easy to really anyone. It's all, all for all of us. It can be a struggle. So I pray that you would meet us tonight that as our eyes are open, we would see you, and as the old hymn goes, the world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. I pray that you would anoint me, God, tonight, and I ask, God, that you would help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I love taking communion together uh, at church. At church here, uh, the, there's uh, tables here, and, and you'll notice uh, broken bread, crackers, and, um, and a cup. And we do... Uh, Communion by, it's called intinction, is the way that, that's what it's called. It's when you take uh, bread and you dip it into the cup and then you receive communion. And uh, my wife and I love, we, we, we come forward, get in line, come forward for communion, um, uh, take communion back to typically our seats or to the side, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll receive communion. Um, and uh, if you've ever seen Ash and I at communion, I hope you don't stare, it's weird, but, um, but we, we, we linger over the communion table. And it's not because we're praying, because we do that later. We linger over to look for the two biggest pieces of cracker um, <laughs> at over communion. I don't know if you do this, um, 
my wife's like, why'd you call us out this morning? Like, why'd you, why'd you say, anyway, so this confession, we just like linger over, and Ash always like points, like that one, no, no, that one, and we always like, I mean, we don't touch them all, but I mean, we, um, we look around, and, um, and a, few, a few weeks ago, we came and to, to forward to receive communion, and they had broken communion up really small, you know, when they get like really tiny, and you know there's no way you're not going to get your fingers wet in the juice, because they're so small, you're like, we're not getting out of this thing clean, like we're just... Uh, and you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so we walk up, and they're just super small, and Ash goes, like, a physical, like, ah, like, gah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so she's, like, we're, we're, like, looking, and she's pointing, like, baby, that one, that one, that one. And then I saw a corner of something, and I, I, I went for it, and it was, like, the rubble of crumbs fell off, and it was this giant cracker that came out from the bottom. <laughs> It was like, the, like Indiana Jones, like, just like, whoa, like archaeology, you know? So I pull it out, and Ash just says, like, like audibly, yes, like really loud, like in communion, like, yes. And um, it was awesome. Like, we both looked at each other, like, this is awesome. So we, um, we dipped that whole thing, like a meal, like in the, in the thing. And then we went back, and we prayed, and we prayed together. And our prayer that, that, that morning was like this simple thanks to God, it's like, it was so fun. We were praying. We are like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you that there are times when it, we think we're going to get a crumb and we get like a whole cracker. And it, and it felt, it, and it was like a, a gift. I mean, it was simple. I mean, it was like a meal, really. But it was like this simple surprise, this simple surprise. It was a reminder that like faith can really be that simple. Faith can really be thank you, Jesus, for a whole cracker. Thank you that you fill us like this. Thank you that we think we're at the table. We're like, oh man, only crumbs left, and and we get surprised. And I think the story of blind Bartimaeus is a picture of that to me, and it always has been of simple faith in Jesus, like this simple and beautiful faith in Christ. That I, I mean, if there was a like a patron saint, if we if we were did icons, like I would want Reality San Francisco's patron saint to be Bartimaeus. And, I, and it just, it's a simple faith in Jesus, like an, an honest simplicity of our faith in Christ. And, and I, I'm, I, to be honest, um, I, I complicate things a little too much. And so I need a dose of Bartimaeus sometimes. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk about uh, his faith, um, his simple faith, his pure faith. The healing of, of Bartimaeus is actually the last healing miracle of Jesus in the book of Mark. And that's important because it's not simply another healing miracle. The way that Mark is actually writing his story, he puts Bartimaeus as the climax of his teaching on faith and discipleship. Mark's been actually teaching about discipleship. The whole book of Mark is about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And what Mark does is at the very end of his book, the very last healing, uh, healing miracle in, G- in, in, in Jesus' story in Mark, he gives a snapshot of what what like, auth- like authentic uh, discipleship and faith in Jesus looks like. What, what Mark is saying is this is what a disciple of Jesus looks like. Because one of the themes in Mark is about seeing. One of the things in Mark is, uh, themes in Mark is about seeing. Not just seeing like with sight, but seeing as in perception. As in, do you get it? Do you get who Jesus really is? Mark is saying, I know you see him. The people that are around Jesus see him. I know that you, 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 you um, know him. I know that you follow him, but do you get him? Do you perceive? Do you understand? Mark's whole book is filled with people who don't see, even his disciples. 
They're right with him, but they don't see him. They don't understand. And this is the religious leaders. These are even his own disciples at times. The underlying question in Mark's gospel is, do you see Jesus? And the irony is that it's a blind man who actually sees Jesus towards the end of Mark's gospel. It's a blind man who sees Jesus rightly. It's a blind man who understands even the implications of following Jesus before he even meets Jesus. And therefore, Mark, the writer of this gospel account, holds up Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, as a model of what faith in Jesus means. And I think the best way to describe Bartimaeus' faith in Jesus is by the phrase, holy longing. I believe that Bartimaeus had this holy longing for God that was pure and simple, and I believe it's repeatable. I want this kind of faith in my own life. I believe that the the faith of Bartimaeus is repeatable for you and I, and it's what I desire for my life. It's what I desire for my my wife's life. It's what I desire for this, this church and our discipleship to Jesus, this holy longing for God. Bartimaeus' holy longing for God can be described as faith in the unseen. First off, faith in the unseen, or the fact that he believed rumors about Jesus. See, we don't know how Bartimaeus came to know about Jesus and believe in him for a healing. It, it certainly wasn't by seeing Jesus because he was blind. He was completely blind. And not only was he blind, but he was reduced to poverty and begging. So Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. And he was a beggar probably due to his condition. And he was a beggar who, who, who hung out at the edge of town by the roadside. So Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, okay, right before this, he's talking about how he's going to Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die. On his way to Jerusalem, Bartimaeus is on the side of the road, and Bartimaeus is begging. And he's begging with his cloak laid out. And Bartimaeus' cloak would have been Bartimaeus' identity. It would have been the way that he kept warm at night, his only sole possession as a beggar. It was where he collected coins. It would be like the equivalent of maybe a used coffee cup that many homeless use to collect change. It was like that. He would lay it out, and he would collect coins from, from people who were charitable as they passed by. And this was everything to him, his cloak. This is all he had. But as he sat at the edge of town, the other thing about being a beggar is that he would pick up stories. He would pick up rumors, if you will, of things going on, of, of what's going on in, in the town surrounding. And one of the things that he would hear was about this prophet, this rabbi, this miracle worker who was going around healing people and performing exorcisms and having all this power, how Jesus healed a paralytic. And Bartimaeus would have heard about this. How, how Jesus taught one taught with one having authority, how Jesus would raise a girl from the dead, and how maybe someone else that passed by told Bartimaeus a story about how he touched a leper, and this leper's skin became like skin of a new baby. And then one day, someone told him, I don't know when, but someone told him that Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. And you can find the story in Mark chapter 8. Now, the thing about this is that this is the first time this had ever been done. And so when Bartimaeus, you can imagine when Bartimaeus, blind, begging Bartimaeus, was sitting there on the roadside with his cloak out, and he heard Jesus just healed a blind man, Bartimaeus' heart sank in his chest, and he thought, oh my gosh, there's hope for me. Like this, this, this man, this guy, this miracle worker, there's hope for me. He can do something for me. And from then on, whenever he, he heard stories about Jesus, and he would pull people aside and say, tell me again the story about how he healed a blind man. 
Tell me again that one more time. And maybe one day, as Bartimaeus was there, turning over the stories of Jesus in his head over and over and over, turning over the rumors that he's been hearing about this man, Jesus, over and over, he put two and two together. And as he put two and two together, he realized that Jesus was no mere man. He was not simply a miracle worker. He was not simply a great teacher. That Jesus was the Messiah. I don't know how he came to know that Jesus was the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior. When he called out to Jesus, he said, Son of David. Now, in Mark's gospel, we would say King Jesus. That's, that's, the, that's what the, that Son of David is like this messianic Christ term that you and I would call king. He would call him King Jesus. He would yell out, King Jesus. And according to what would happen next, Bartimaeus would also perceive what the Savior required. So the, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that before Bartimaeus had ever met Jesus, he was a disciple of Jesus. Somehow, the longing, the holy longing that Bartimaeus had for being healed turned into a holy longing for Jesus himself. And he had come to love Jesus. And even, in a, in a way, he couldn't wait to follow Jesus. And he did that all without ever seeing Jesus. You can say that Bartimaeus literally had blind faith. He had, he had put his trust and his hope, and he knew who Jesus was before ever seeing Jesus. Like, you can really literally say that Bartimaeus had blind faith. Now, I know that holding up blind faith as a model for discipleship doesn't really sound that healthy. You're like, wait, so Bartimaeus is a model for our discipleship, and you're saying that he had blind faith? Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not advocating for a faith that has no reason. I happen to believe that Christianity makes the most rational and emotional sense of any philosophy or belief structure. My point is that I believe at some level we all have a blind faith in something and we all have a blind faith for something. Most of the time it feels like a lot like hope in things we cannot see. It feels like a desire for something more, a yearning for things to be different than they actually are. And I would call that the beginning of a holy longing for God. See, for Bartimaeus, it started like this, I want to be restored. I want to see. But then what happened as Bartimaeus was turning over the stories of Jesus in his mind, the rumors of God in his mind, he came to say, I want Jesus. And no matter how rational you think you are, how reasoned, how educated, how secular, you have, I know, you have a holy longing, a holy longing for God. It's wired in all of us. And sometimes it shows itself. It, it peaks itself out, especially when it's raining and you, have, you, know, like you feel like you have no friends right now. Like usually, like in winter, it usually peaks itself out. We, we have, artists are, are especially prone to writing about their holy longings. Um, the Postal Service uh, has a song. Um, Postal Service is like a side project of a couple of Death Cab for Cuties like um, people. Anyway, so um, Ben Gibbard, right? So he, he has a song. They have a song on their only album, um, Clark Gable. It goes like this. I want so badly to believe that there's truth that love is real. And I want life in every word to the extent that it's absurd. I think that like existential outburst, this is that holy longing I believe is inside all of us, that we want so badly for the truth. I would even say the truth of God, the truth of the love of God to be real. We want life 
We want life in everything, and we want that. Now, I don't know if we are all super melancholy and emo and think of it that way. Most of us are not like that. Most of us, I don't know if we have that many existential moments where we can put a finger on our longings for love and truth and life. Most of the time, the way that we express our longing for God is less like a postal service song and maybe more like a Bruno Mars song. Um, I mean, that guy, that little man can write a pop song, right? I mean, he just can. He has um, an, a new album, a new song that came out called 24 Karat Magic. It's just a, just a pop anthem. And in there, there's a line that as I listen to this line, I'm like, this is, I mean, this is probably most of our city, if not most of all us. Oh, it's already up. It's ruined. Okay, here it is. This, this lyric is so good. He says, I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket keep up. So this is what this means. He's saying that, that all the, this is the way that our holy longings show themselves in San Francisco, by the way. This is the way I would say our holy longings express themselves even when we're young. We have resources, we have longings, we have desires, we have passions and zeal, we have all that, and it sends us out into the world dangerously with resources in our pocket, with youth, with like passion and lusts. All of it, it sends us out into the world and we just want to, like an adult, like a little baby, want to shove the whole world in our mouths. That's what we want. We just want, I want it all. And our holy longing for God, we can't even put our finger on it yet, but it sends us out into the world trying to find something real, something that makes us alive, something that, that shows like th- what I'm feeling is real. This is how our longing express themselves in this town. But what we don't often find out until it's either too late or because we're too distracted is that our longings are really a single, holy longing for God. And if we're lucky, if you are lucky, one day you'll find yourself like this blind beggar who because they have nowhere else to go see that what you're really longing for is only found in Jesus. Maybe you'll be that lucky to become like a blind beggar where you realize nothing I've ever gone for or nothing I've ever had satisfies me. I just want Jesus. This is why Bartimaeus is a model of faith. Because like anyone who has gone through recovery will tell you, we're all addicts in some way. It's just some of us hit rock bottom and have to face the reality that we're an addict. In the same way, we're all blind beggars. It's just the real blind beggars are the ones who have to face the reality of being a blind beggar. Every, this is why I wish Bartimaeus was the patron saint of this church. All of us are that. Every single one of us are just blind beggars. That's it. And there's some of us who've hit the place of realizing how blind we are. There's some of us have hit the place of realizing how much we are in, are in need and are faced with the reality of it. And then, and here's the beauty of our longing for the, whole, uh, for the holy. The beauty is the holy has a way of showing up because God is never that far off from any one of us poor blind beggars. And the cool part of this story is that one day Jesus actually does show up. And it says that when Jesus and this huge crowd reached the edge of town and it was in Jericho, Bartimaeus heard it's Jesus of Nazareth and he saw his chance and he began to shout out loud, 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. King Jesus, have mercy on me. It was like he was calling out to a friend he had never met and only had this one chance to make it happen. And the crowd said, shut up. Now, can we just talk about the crowd for a second? Because the crowd in Mark's gospel is never a good thing, okay? They're just fickle. So the crowd, they're walking, and there's this blind beggar that's yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, have mer- King Jesus, have mercy on me. And they, they start rebuking him. I, I don't even know if like one of the 12 were doing this. Probably, they're like, just be quiet. Look at, look at how it reads. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Like, they're like, be quiet. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be quiet. Jesus. He's like even yelling louder. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called to the blind man saying, hey, man, cheer up. Go on your feet. He's calling you. Now, the crowds are like, shut up. And then they're like, hey, brother. Like, this just doesn't make any, like, they're so fickle. Like, they're so fickle. Here's one of my favorite um, Mark uh, commentators, Joel Marcus, who's a, a professor at Duke, said this. He said, this sudden change of heart is a comic but realistic touch. Charity, like hatred, can be contagious. Charity, like hatred, can be contagious. Just think about that for a second. Like the, the whole crowd was spewing nothing but hatred towards this, this powerless and vulnerable man. And the second Jesus says, hey, I, I, call him, they're like, man, this is, yeah, yeah, of course call him. Like, come here, brother, give me a hug. Look, Jesus wants you, get over here. Like, it turns like that, and so he goes on to say, Joel Mark goes on to say, and an authoritative figure's concern for the down and out can quickly convert popular hostility into benevolence. So Jesus speaks into this, and he shifts the whole crowd. Just listen to the power that our words have. And, and church, let, let's, I just want to say this, is like, as the person who has a mic, so there's some authority that probably comes from that. I just, let's not, let's not, as a church, as people who follow Jesus, let's not forget the poor that are among us, who live on our streets. I, I don't know, when you first moved here, if, if someone who was living on the streets as they're yelling and they're walking, it really shocked you, but now you don't think twice about it, like you're so desensitized by it, don't, don't keep your heart in check. Don't, don't get desensitized by it. Let it keep crushing you. The vulnerable, we, 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 need, we need to care for, and this is not a, a political statement. Don't dismiss this like that. I'm not trying to say a culturally popular San Francisco political thing right now. I'm, I'm trying to speak into your discipleship to Jesus. Do what you can as a follower of Christ to see and hear and serve the poor among us. I read a book recently that said the way Jesus spoke about the poor in effect was saying that nobody will get into heaven without a letter of reference from the poor. Now, don't, don't read into that too literally, but don't not, not read into that too literally. I mean, Jesus said that. So, so the crowds are like, shut up. But notice another element in the holy longing of Bartimaeus' faith, another element that is so key here his persistence in opposition. He longed for Jesus so deeply that there was no obstacle he allowed to stand in the way of seeing Jesus. The crowd was like, you can't talk to him. And he is saying, you're not keeping me from seeing Jesus. 
You are not going to stop me. I will yell all the more loudly. I will push through your opposition. I won't even listen to you. I want Jesus. He yelled all the more loudly. I love this. As Bartimaeus finally stood before the Messiah, Jesus asked him this question that maybe seems a bit insensitive. He says, um, what do you want me to do for you? I, I don't know what Bartimaeus is saying, like, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, what do you think? I don't know. And it can seem like maybe mocking a little bit, like, are you going to make me say it in front of everyone? Like, you know what I'm here for. Jesus is asking Bartimaeus, what do you want? Now, it's not, Jesus is not mocking him. And Jesus is not being insensitive here. This question is used throughout Mark's story to reveal the heart and true motives behind someone. The first time this question was used, what do you want, is when John the Baptist was in prison by King Herod. And he threw, King Herod threw one of these lavish parties and a young girl danced for him and he was so impressed and probably, probably a little drunk. He said to the, the girl, um, what do you want me to do for you? I'll do anything for you, up to half my kingdom. And this is how she responded, I want revenge. I want revenge. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. See, John the Baptist had made a public embarrassment of her family by saying her mom should have never had left her first husband to marry King Herod. So when the question came up, what do you want me to do for you? It searched her heart, and you know what was down in there? Revenge. The second time it's used is in chapter 10, the chapter that we're in. But it's used right in the section right before Bartimaeus. It's, it was when James and John went to Jesus and asked him for something. Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus responded, what do you want me to do for you? And they responded, we want power. We want power. That probe went down deep into their soul. That question probed their heart. And what came out is we want power. We want to sit, they said, we want to sit on your right and your left hand when you come into glory. We want to be great. We want acclaim. We want influence. That's what we want. Do you see how searching this question is? It's not just like, he wasn't calling Bartimaeus out. He's searching his heart. What is it that you really want? The last time this question is used is at the end of Mark's gospel by Pilate, the Roman governor who was in Jerusalem to keep peace during the Passover. After Jesus is betrayed and arrested, he goes through a false trial and he's brought before Pilate who can't find any reason to kill Jesus. And in a very infamous scene, he brings Jesus out before the people of Jerusalem and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do with Jesus? And they all yelled, crucify him. This is a searching question. This question, what do you want me to do for you, is a question that probes our heart. It's a loaded question in this story that actually exposes our heart, bringing to our surface our true motives and our values. And this question is the most important question God ever asks us and the one which we most frequently give the wrong answer to. I have. I do answer wrongly to this question. Perhaps the same question would bring surface to surface our motives even tonight. I mean, the answer can reveal whether we want to be healed from our blindness or selfishly want God to do our bidding, to fulfill our own desires. It's a heart-searching question. What do you think about most? What do you think about the most often? What do you want? Like, you might want to settle a score, maybe revenge in some sort of way. Of course, you would never, ever say a thing like that out loud, but deep in your heart, you're hanging on to bitterness, and if the right moment presented itself, you might just take your pound of flesh. Some of you want power. 
You want to make a name for yourself? You think about being the next influential fill in the blank? And this might not be what you're praying for when you go in your secret pray place and officially pray, but it's the meditation of your heart, so therefore it is kind of you praying, meaning it's what consumes your resting mind. So when Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? It's this sort of question. Bartimaeus, what is the meditation of your heart? And Bartimaeus says, I just want to see. I just want to be healed of my blindness. But here's the question. Why does Bartimaeus really want to see? Why does he want to see? This is why Mark uses him as a model for discipleship. Why, Bartimaeus, do you want to see? Did he want to, did he, did he want to see so he can go and like get a, a job and pull himself out of poverty? Did he, did he want to see so he can chase the girl of his dreams that he's been in love with his whole life? Like, why did he want to see? This is why Bartimaeus wanted to see. Bartimaeus wanted to see so that he could follow Jesus. Bartimaeus wanted to follow Jesus. I want you to open my eyes so that I can follow you. Look, look, look at verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Uh, way, um, that word in Mark's uh, gospel is always a loaded word, another one of his loaded words. He uses it to talk about discipleship. He used it to follow the way of Jesus and the way that Jesus is going. And so Jesus is always talking about take up your cross and follow me, follow me on the way. So Jesus is actually in the whole book of Mark moving toward the cross. The whole book, he's like moving closer and closer toward the cross, and he's trying to tell everyone that he's going to the cross to die for them, and no one's getting it, no one's really seeing. So Jesus says to him, go your way, do the thing that you want to do. Your faith has made you well, go your way, you can go now. Do what you've always wanted to do, Bartimaeus. I mean, he could have went and seen the world. He could have went and cleaned himself up. Bartimaeus, his new redeemed world was full of potential. This story always um, reminds me of, of Tarek, uh, Pastor Tarek here. Tarek has a pretty crazy past. Um, I like it when he gets up and he says, um, yeah, it's like that one time I was in prison and everybody goes like, wait, what? Like, you don't start a conversation like that. And then he just leaves it there and he walks away. Um, he, has a, he has a fairly crazy past. Um, he was delivered and redeemed by Jesus at the age of 32 in a Christian rehab center after prison. And the way he describes it is that he, he, when he was in re rehab, he came to know Jesus. And the way that Tark says that he just never wanted to leave Jesus, ever. He was, I, I, when he graduated from his program, he was, well, he was educated and smart and resourceful. And he, he, he had done his time and had a clean conscience and he could have done really anything. And the world was full of potential. And when he was given the choice, okay, you're done with your program, go do what you want to do, he didn't want to leave. He knew the blindness and the darkness he was capable of, and so he stayed. He's like, can I, can I work here? I don't want, I feel like Jesus is here, and I don't want to leave Jesus. And so I guess the question is, if Jesus offers you freedom, what will you do with that freedom? If Jesus offers you sight, what will you do with that sight? I've seen so many people come to Christ out of a crisis, and as soon as the crisis is over, they're gone. Why do you want freedom? Why do you want healing? It's a searching question. He says to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, go your way. You're healed, man. And what does Bartimaeus do? Bartimaeus could have done anything, but look at what he does. Look at verse 52 again. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. 
the thing that he really wanted, the thing that Bartimaeus really wanted was to fall from the very beginning. It didn't show up till the very end. But what he really, really desired, what he really wanted was to follow Jesus. And this is why I think he's a model of faith for us, guys. This is why I think he's a model for the faith that I want to have. Like, what, when, I ask, when, when I'm asked a question by, by, by God, Dave, why do you want freedom? Why do you want healing? And I want my heart to be because I want to follow you. Because I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to do the things that you want me to do. I want to be faithful and obedient to you. I just want to follow you on the way. And I know that might mean death. And that might mean suffering. And that might mean pain. But I just want to follow you. This was Bartimaeus. This was at, at the core of it. This was his, like, the desire of his heart. Like, he believed the rumors of Jesus. He believed them. He knew, if I just meet him, that'll change everything. And once you saw him, he was like, I just, I see you. I don't want to leave your side. I'm going to follow you. Again, Joel Marcus comments on this little phrase here, and he says, Bartimaeus, sensing this hidden dimension in Jesus' parting words, uses the freedom that Jesus has given him, go, to choose the life of discipleship that with his restored vision, he perceives to be the logical consequence of the saving faith that has liberated him from darkness. Bartimaeus is saying, you healed me, where else am I going to go? The natural consequence of me, of saving faith, is that I'm walking with you, that I'm following you. His holy longing didn't end with being healed. It didn't end with just meeting Jesus. The real true answer to Jesus' question, what do you want, is this, I want you. That was the answer to his question. I want you. And this is why I think his holy longing meets this beautiful conclusion. Because his longing just allows him to dream and hope of something that is impossible. Sight of a blind man, impossible. He meets Jesus, and his longing comes to an end, and he, for that moment on, will, his, his holy longing will have an object, and it's Christ. So let me share with you, as we close, a rumor about Jesus, and let you consider it, and sit with it, and maybe tonight respond to it. And this is a rumor that, to be honest, to be honest, that I still believe in faith, that that I have seen glimpses of in my own life, but most of the time, it's by faith that I receive this. And it comes from C.S. Lewis, and it's the very, very last paragraph in his book, Mere Christianity. And his book, I love it because it's this paragraph, and it just says the end. And this is the way the book ends. I don't think a book other than the Bible will ever end as good as this. And this is what he says at the end of his book. He says, and this is a rumor, This is, I hope that you believe this. I hope that you take this in. It's not on the screen, so just listen. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ, and you will find Him, 
and with him everything else thrown in. Sit with that. I believe that, and most of the time I believe that by faith, like sight unseen. And sometimes I believe it by faith, and I see it lived out in my own life. And a lot of the times I'm walking by just like this thin strand of faith in those words. And they are a recapitulated the words of Christ. This is what Jesus has said. And I believe them by faith to be true. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight, <clears throat> in whatever way that we can or are willing to, or maybe even just go through the, 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 the motions of our body to move towards you, I pray that we would respond to you, God. That we would not just hear something and let it sit in our minds, that it would move its way down into our hearts, the way, all the way down to like our hands and our feet, the way that we act and respond right now. And I want to pray for this church that this would be the kind of faith that our church has, this return to a, a simple childlike faith. I mean, there's childlike strands throughout the whole Bartimaeus story. How he throws aside his cloak and he springs up on his feet and he runs to Jesus and how when people tell him to be quiet, he gets even louder. There's so many childlike qualities that I pray over our church that we would have this sort of faith in you, Jesus. A faith that responds to you, that believes the rumors of what you can and will do, and we claim them by faith, and maybe one day we'll see them face to face. Not, if not in this life, in the next life. Give us that sort of faith, God. We need it, I need it. Build our faith. I pray for those that have not placed their faith in you. That tonight they'd be moved to draw closer to you, nearer to you. I mean, they, they showed up to church. There must be something of a holy longing in them. I pray their holy longing would, would meet the longing that you have for them. To heal them, to make them right, to set them free, and to call them to follow you. We pray all this in the strong name of Christ. Amen.